how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it came about, while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the right hand of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it came about, when the days of his priestly service were ended, that he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among men. Thank you, Val. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the words that uh, have been read out, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that they've been studied and prepared in Debbie's heart. As we thank you that your Holy Spirit moves through the word, Lord. And what she's prepared would touch our hearts, especially at this uh, lovely time of Christmas, Lord, this very appropriate Christmas passage, Lord. Speak it fresh again into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Morning, everybody. How are we doing? Are we feeling warm enough still? <laughs> Good, just about, yes. Yeah. You've, you've kind of kept your hats and coats on, I can see a lot of you, very sensible. Um, but uh, hopefully this story, this amazing story that we're just going to think about for a few minutes this morning, hopefully it's already warming our hearts because what an amazing encounter this couple had, or particularly this man, Zacharias, had when he walked into the temple that day expecting to just do his normal priestly duty, just like you walked into the Bonhoeffer this morning expecting to do your normal priestly duty coming here to worship, coming here to offer your sacrifice of praise, coming here to bless the Lord. And uh, he wasn't expecting anything very different. He wasn't expecting anything very exciting or very unusual or out of the ordinary. But all of a sudden, he has an incredible encounter because it's as though the heaven's door was opened up and the angel came in, something supernatural, something beyond what is naturally experienceable in our day-to-day lives, stepped in, broke in and spoke to him with an incredible message. And it was so impacting this man Zacharias's life that he couldn't even speak afterwards for a time until the promise God gave him was completely fulfilled. The promise that he was going to have a little baby boy. And I know it's Christmas, so it's easy in our minds to think that the only babies being born and the only one who had angels uh, prophesying their birth was Jesus himself. But this is the beginning of the story that we celebrate every year at this time of year, at Christmas time. This is the beginning. Well, not really the very beginning, but the prequel and the precursor to Jesus coming. It is this angelic visitation in the temple on that day when everything seemed very ordinary and everything seemed like it would be just the same as it always was. And as I was thinking about this message and this beautiful story, I know that there are some of us here and our hearts are already longing for that. We're saying, Lord, we need you. I need you to break into the day-to-day. I need you to break into what feels very ordinary, to where I have not much expectation or hope. I need you to come and meet me in a powerful way so that I know that heaven is touching into my earthly experience. Some of us are already praying that and calling on the Lord, that he'll meet us. And I believe he wants to this morning through this passage. And I've called the message this morning just this really simple reminder for us, perhaps. I want us to remember this morning, as we think through this story a little bit, that God is gracious. God is gracious. I wonder if we really know what that word means. Perhaps we should warm ourselves up a bit and I'll have a bit of audience participation from you. What what does it mean? What does gracious really mean? Got a definition, anyone? Go on up, Margaret. Lovely. I know that one. That's a good one, isn't it? It's an, uh, what do you call that? Mnemonic, thank you. It's a mnemonic. God's riches at Christ's expense is grace. It's a good one, isn't it? Very good definition. Anything else? What does it mean to you if we say the Lord is gracious, God is gracious? A deep understanding, what the Lord, his deep understanding of us. Yeah. 
Undeserved favor. Very good, yeah. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Humility. Yeah, graciousness carries with it, doesn't it? A character of humility. It's not all big and bossy. Graciousness comes with humility towards us. What an amazing description of our God. Not demanding. To be gracious is to be giving and not demanding, isn't it? Something we pour out. Yeah, I've got written down here lots of things you've said. Undeserved kindness, goodness, favor, strength and help when we need it, forgiveness, mercy instead of judgment. And all this coming from God, not because we've earned it, not because we've worked for it, not because we've done anything to deserve it, but this is God's gift towards us because of who he is. God is gracious and all of that good stuff pours out of his heart towards us. So I wonder, why is it that sometimes we don't feel that God is really like that? Why do we think sometimes that God is not gracious, but rather that he's kind of waiting for us to pull ourselves together and sort ourselves out a bit before he will act on our behalf? Why do we think like that about him sometimes? Why do we feel sometimes that maybe God is punishing us or withholding things from us deliberately, making us suffer for the mistakes that we've made and the things that we've done wrong? Why is it that we think that God is a kind of God who actually delights in giving us what we do deserve rather than giving us the kindness and graciousness and goodness that perhaps we haven't earned and we don't really deserve. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about all the times in our lives when we just kind of expect God to be adding up all our good points, weighing them off against our bad points, and deciding on that basis whether he's going to do anything nice for us, whether he's going to meet us, whether he's going to answer our prayers or not. I was thinking how we do that in our Christian lives, and it reminded me of this man that I want to show you here. Um, this is a guy called Sammy, and I wonder if uh, Ethan remembers him, because back in 2015, when Ethan was just a little young lad, um, we went out with the youth in Ignite, and we did um, some homeless outreach up in town, up in London Bridge, and we met this guy, and his name was Sammy, and actually, he is, in fact, wearing Ethan's hat, if you look in this picture. That's why we took the picture, because uh, we had some hats and gloves and warm things to give out at wintertime. And the funny thing was, he put this hat on, this first hat that we gave him, and he didn't like it, didn't think it suited him. <laughs> and so uh, Ethan said, would you prefer this one? Which was really kind, and he took it, and he did prefer it. So he kept that one. But I remember us talking to this man. I remember I had this picture of him, and it just reminded me how when we shared with him and he told us a bit of his story, what had made him end up being homeless and on the streets, he said, told us how basically he'd done some terrible things in his life that he really regretted. Um, he'd been very violent, I think, in his life was the upshot. He'd spent some time in prison. And he was telling us how he had tried many times and on different occasions to kind of get help from God. 
And he said how he would sometimes go and sit in the back of a church building somewhere up in town, an empty church building during the week. He'd kind of go in like you can do and sit on a pew and sort of pray and talk to God and ask him for help for his situation, ask him for provision, ask him for um, help for his future. But he said he would sit there and he would just keep telling himself, well, you know what, I shouldn't really be asking this of you, God, because I've done so many bad things. You wouldn't, of course, you wouldn't want to help me. And so he would get up again and sort of turn around and walk away and walk out. And he described to us how he felt in the end that his condition, his situation, where he was at in his life right then, well, this is just what I deserve. This is payback for the stuff that I've done. This is where I belong. God's not going to be interested in meeting me and answering my prayers. And we talked with him. I hope that we shared with him a little bit more about God's grace. I don't know if he fully opened his heart to receive it. We did pray with him, and I remember him being very moved in those prayers. But it was like somehow this guy, Sammy, he couldn't accept. He couldn't open his heart to receive the graciousness of God. He couldn't believe that God truly is gracious. And I think it's really easy for all of us to shut our hearts sometimes to God's grace. And in this story, there's this huge intervention of grace going on. And it comes in the form of John the Baptist, John the Baptist's conception, John the Baptist um, and his birth being foretold. And perhaps you don't know that the name John means God is gracious. It was a sign for the people. It was a sign for the people of his time. And it's a sign for us that God wants to break into our lives and bring about his graciousness. Even when we don't expect it, even when we don't think we deserve it. And this grace that John was going to embody, this grace was to do with him being a forerunner, somebody who went before Jesus coming into this world, and somebody who was going to sort out the people of God and get them ready, turn their hearts back towards God the Father so that they would worship him with whole hearts, worship him more truthfully instead of being turned away and actually worshiping other stuff. That was the state of most of the people of Israel in those days. And at that time, they'd kind of forgotten about their God. They were under Roman rulership. All sorts of other ways of doing life was out there. They were being influenced by that. They were forgetting who their gracious God was and the worship that he deserved was not coming, was not flowing from his people. And John's job, as it was prophesied, was to come and to help those people of Israel to turn back to a living God and to give him the fullness of the worship that he deserves because of all of his graciousness towards us. And I felt actually during our worship this morning that that is what God was calling us back to in our singing, in some of the songs that we chose. It was calling us back, wasn't it, to give all our worship to him. Maybe some of us know that our hearts have been a bit like that. You know, perhaps we're not bowing down to other idols and statues, but in our hearts, something else has taken our attention. Something else has taken our love and our consideration away from the Lord Jesus. Perhaps we need to remember to be called back and to turn our hearts towards him this morning. But it was a beautiful intervention of God's grace. And so this couple, 
that John was given to, <laughs> the grace of God was being shown to, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're going to have a little bit to show us, I think, a little bit to teach us about how to receive God's grace into our lives more fully, like this man Sammy was struggling with. And I really want to share with us this morning the one really important thing that I believe Zacharias and Elizabeth teach us or show us about grace is that the life of faith always involves an element of waiting. I want us to know that and think about that for a moment because I think it's really important to get our hearts and our heads around. The life of faith, the life of following our Lord Jesus is always at some point, somewhere or another, going to involve some waiting. Something that hasn't yet happened, but we have a promise that it will. And if you think about it, and if you look back through all the stories of Scripture, all the great men and women of God um, that are talked about in Scripture, they almost always show us really clearly that at times we are going to have to wait for God to move and act and intervene on our behalf and bring forth his graciousness that we know is in his character. We're going to have to wait to see it break through. We're going to need to learn from these stories that things don't always move in the timing and the speed that we would like them to in God's purposes. But that nevertheless, if we wait on the Lord, we will find that grace breaking in at just the right moment. It's a promise for us and it's what Zacharias and Elizabeth show us. How do they show us that? Well, first of all, just thinking about their names <laughs> helps us. Their names and the meaning of their names indicate this truth that we will have to wait for the Lord at times. The name Elizabeth, it's got all kinds of different ways of translating it and expressing it. But basically, in that name Elizabeth is the idea of God's promise. God's promise towards us. And the name Zacharias means the Lord remembers. God's promise, the Lord remembers, and they come together and what comes forth is grace, the grace of the Lord. Promises and remembering, when you put them together, that idea implies for us, doesn't it, something that hasn't yet happened, something that was spoken long ago, but that is not there yet, something that's in danger, perhaps, of being lost or laid aside or forgotten about, but something that God is saying, I will not forget about this. I will not lose it. I will not lay it aside because I'm the one who has promised it. And if our God is a God who makes promises, and if our God is a God who has to remember things from long ago, then perhaps as his people, we should be a bit more prepared and a bit more aware that to walk in relationship with this kind of God, 
we might need to learn to wait. Things won't all come necessarily immediately. We might need to learn to trust. We might need to learn not to lose heart, not to get discouraged, not to give up hope, not to let go of what God is doing. And isn't the Bible just full of verses that reinforce that message all the time? Don't grow weary and lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Press on towards the prize. Keep going towards what God has got for you in the future. But we just find waiting really, really difficult, don't we? (laughs) People, human beings, we really struggle with waiting. I wonder if it is particularly our culture that we live in today, or maybe human beings have just always, always, always been this way, that we don't really want to wait. We want things now. We want things when we feel we need them. And we find the waiting very painful sometimes. And I don't want to belittle that because waiting can be. We don't think we can make it through if we're going to have to wait any longer. We think we're going to crumble and cave before the answer comes. Or we don't think we have the strength to endure it, to persevere. Or maybe for some of us it's more that we get bored with the waiting We're not good with monotony. We're not good with the same old, same old. And we turn aside to find something else that distracts us and entertains us and engages us. Or maybe some of us, we get disillusioned with the waiting or angry. And we simply don't believe that it's going to come anymore, that what we're waiting for even exists or will ever come. But, you know, our God is a God who calls us to learn how to wait and to learn how to wait well. And that's really what I want us to think about a little bit more this morning before we close this time. Because maybe sometimes we even think to ourselves, well, why do we have to have a God anyway who deals in promises and who deals in remembering stuff. Why do we have to have that kind of a God? Perhaps sometimes, if we're honest, we'd really rather have a God who just gets things done a bit quicker, you know, to our time scale. And perhaps we think, you know, as we go down that road, we start to think, well, in my mind, I can create the kind of God that would be perfect for me because he would work a little bit like some kind of vending machine, you know, where I would get my coins, get my prayers, and I put them in the slot at the top there, you know, I put my prayers in at the top, I push the buttons to explain exactly what I want, and then I'm just going to stand and wait and expect that immediately that machine is going to move and push what I want to the front of the queue and drop it down into the bottom bit where we take it out, and it's like, thanks very much, God, and off we go. If we're honest, some of us, that is the kind of God that we're looking for. Well, I put my prayers in, I push the right buttons. I can see it right there through the glass. It's not coming. Where is it? It's not there. It's not dropped down. We start to get a bit cross about it. I put my prayers in. I put the right amount in. I press the correct buttons. We start to get agitated. And then what do we do? Well, if we're honest, some of us, we give that machine a good old kick and we whack it on the side, yeah? Because we expect 
We think it should just come right now. And some of us, we're looking for a God who is like that. And in our hearts, some of the anger, the frustration, the letdownness, the disillusionment that we feel, it's that. It's that we've been putting some prayers in and pushing some buttons, but it's not dropped down yet. And we're cross and we're angry. But you know, of course, when we look at it like that, the reason I use that silly illustration is because, of course, but our God is not a vending machine. He is a person. He is a person. And we don't treat people that way. We shouldn't treat a person that way. He's someone we've got to talk to and engage with. Because you see, Got the God of promises and the God of remembering rather than the vending machine God. The God of promises and the God of remembering. He is a God of relationship. He is a God who wants to engage with us in a relationship. And you see, promises are the very stuff of relationship. It is how they begin. We promise things to one another in marriages, but in friendships too, in every type of relationship. We make promises to one another about the fact that we're going to keep walking together on this journey. We're going to go down a road together. And that involves some things that aren't happening all at once. Because you know, and I know, a friendship, a relationship doesn't all just land on us in one go at the beginning. It's something that requires walking out, time. It's something that requires development. It's something that requires growth. It's something where we're going to say to each other, I will do this. And then the trust in a relationship is what enables you to then come in and fulfill it down the line. And the relationship is strengthened and it grows and it can go forward even further. And we know that nothing is going to break it. That's the thing with our God. He is a God of promises. He is a God of remembering and not forgetting. Because he is a God who is personal and wants to get personal with you. Who wants to have a relationship with you. Not just churn out blessings and answered prayers to us like a great big vending machine in the sky. This is who our God is, and it's because he loves you, and it's because he believes in relationship that he wants us to understand how to wait well and walk in promises and trust that he's not going to forget us and trust that down the line the things we're calling on him for will come to be and will come to pass. And of course we know that promises, broken promises, are the stuff of broken relationships, aren't they? And probably lots of us have known that and experienced that in our lives. But we have a God who is gracious. We have a God who promises and we have a God who remembers those promises. And we have a God who will bring about their fulfillment at the proper time. 2 Peter verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some people count slowness, but he is patient towards us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Our Lord is giving room 
for more to happen, for more people to come in. Some of the waiting we experience, the painful waiting we experience, is simply about that. It's not time to move yet, because if I do, says the Lord, somebody else is going to get shut out of this. And I want everyone in on the promise, everyone possible gathered in to the promise. He's not slow, but we need to learn to wait. And we need to learn to wait for the Lord without getting angry, without getting disillusioned, without going off after those empty distractions, and without caving in inside, without collapsing. So how are we going to do that? I just want to finish with some of these thoughts. Because Elizabeth and Zacharias, you know, they were waiting. And they had two very unanswered prayers that were going on in their lives. One was a big one. And one was a more personal one, wasn't it? But it would have felt just as big to them. And the personal prayer was that they were waiting to conceive a baby. They wanted to have a baby. And they were praying to the Lord about it. And they were waiting on him. And the big prayer that they were praying was a prayer for Israel to turn back to God. They could see that God's people around them were falling away left, right, and center. They weren't worshiping anymore. They weren't praying anymore. And they were praying about that. And God's answer and God's grace breaking in came in the shape of baby John the Baptist. And he turned out to be the answer to both of those prayers all at once. He was a child for them, but he was also a prophet for the Lord to get Israel back on track, back into spiritual shape again, and to prepare the way ultimately for Jesus the Messiah to come. But, you know, they'd been waiting a long time for those prayers to be answered. And for that personal prayer for their own child, they had waited long past there was any point really waiting anymore. They were too old to have a baby. But God was gracious. You know, there are a hundred ways that he could have been gracious. He was gracious in this way to them. He gave them that baby even though... Their bodies weren't really able um, to do that, humanly speaking. He gave them that baby because, why? Well, I think Zacharias and Elizabeth, they, they knew how to wait well. And so their hearts were ready and open to receive that graciousness that God wanted to give them. They could open their hearts at the right moment to receive God's gracious answer to those prayers. And as their names suggest, they not only knew that God remembers and that his promises never fail, but they hung on to that. They lived in it. We know from the passage they were a worshipful and a prayerful couple. They were devoted to the Lord. They were set apart for priestly service, both of them in their family lines. And it says they were righteous that they walked blamelessly, that they cared about holiness in their lives. They cared about living the kind of lives that God would approve. And they committed themselves to a wonderful, worshipful, and prayerful, and holy company of people. Because even though most of Israel was turning away and losing their worship of the living God, we can see there's this group of them 
who were still desperately clinging on to that hope of a Messiah, still wanting to live in God's world, God's way, until that moment came. And in verse 10, it talks about them. It says, as Zacharias went into the temple, outside was a whole company, a crowd of prayerful people. They were praying for him as he went in to perform that duty, that he would do it well, and that God would hear the prayers, and that God would answer And Elizabeth and Zacharias, they had attached themselves, devoted themselves to that kind of group of people. There was a whole bunch of falling away, turning away people they could have hung out with, but they chose to keep their lives in that stream, in that flow, a flow of prayer, a flow of worship, a flow of holiness. And if they were struggling with that, they got the other people around them. They got people alongside. They had a crowd of people praying for them to keep them in that space of worship and prayer and holiness because that is the kind of condition, that is the kind of space where grace of God can break through. That is the kind of space where our gracious God can intervene and bring to us the kind of answers and the kind of blessing that will ultimately not just do us good, but will also turn the hearts of those who are far away from him back to him. So that our little prayers, our personal prayers, also become the kind of prayers that have an impact on the whole world. Did you know that that was true, people of God? Did you know that the things you pray about for your family, for your home, for your friendships, for your life, for your job, for your finances, if we're these sorts of people, People who hang about with others who are worshiping and praying and seeking to live holy before the Lord. If we do that, it's like it opens up, it pulls a big hole in the prayers that we're praying, makes them bigger and bigger and bigger to encompass more and more and more of God's purposes, more and more of what He wants to do, so that it blesses not only you. When those answers come, but it blesses the world out there, blesses the people in your community, blesses the people who live next door to you. And we need to be a people, don't we, who are expectant that this is the kind of God we worship, a gracious God who's got bigger things than we ever dreamed of to do and to answer and to bless us with. And that even if we're waiting, we're going to be a people who are waiting well, who stick together and who create those spaces of worship and prayer and holiness where grace can be brought forth. That is the kind of people that God is looking for us to be. That's the kind of people he wants us to be this morning. I want to finish just with this story before we close because I was reminded as I was thinking about this of a couple or a lady that I met at a conference many years ago. And some of you might have heard me tell her story before. But basically, she and her husband um, fostered children all throughout their lives. When I met her, she was in her 70s, and they'd been doing it for a long time. And she told me some of their stories. And one particular story, I think actually they fostered because they couldn't have children of their own, and they decided that this was the ministry the Lord was giving them to, um, to bring his grace to bear. Um, But as they fostered, there was this one young woman who was placed with them. She was, I think she was about 13 or 14 when she arrived. 
And she was a very, very troubled girl. And she would run away all the time. And usually she would come back again a couple of days later. She'd been out on the streets or hanging out with people that she shouldn't be. And she would come back. And every time she came back, the the couple would say to her, because they were lovely, wonderful lovers of Jesus, they would say to her, we've been praying for you. And whatever happens, however far away you get, there will always be a space for you. There will always be a welcome for you when you come back. And she would go and she would come back and she would go and she would come back until one day when she went and she didn't come back for a few days and then a week and then weeks turned into months. And finally, after months had gone by and this couple were looking for her all the time, wanting to find out where she'd got to, um, the authorities kind of said, look, I think we just have to accept that she's gone. She's gone and she's found somewhere else that she wants to live. She's um, gone out of our um, care. But this couple couldn't accept that. They had such a compassion for her. They were praying for her all the time that she would return. And um, even though the authorities had kind of given up on her, because she was 15, probably turning 16 by this time, they were like, she, she can kind of make her own decisions at this point. Um, they, as they were thinking about this, they got together with their church. And their church created a prayer meeting that would meet every week to pray for this girl that she would return and come back. And every week they met at the same time and they prayed like this and they met weekly and prayed for two years. And after those two years had gone by, this girl was still nowhere to be found and she had never come back again. And at that point, you know, the church kind of said, well, okay, you know, people were less committed to the time. And it ended up after a while that it was just this couple and one other couple that met with them still every week to pray for this girl to return. And they carried on and they carried on. And you know, that foursome, they met praying after, for, after a while, it became 12 years they were praying for this girl to return. And after 12 years had gone by, there was a day that came when they all sort of sat down together and uh, the four of them and they just said, do you think we should just lay this aside now? Do you think that maybe the Lord's saying we just need to release her into our hands. And, and they all kind of agreed that, okay, you know, 12 years is a very, very long time. She's a grown adult now. Whatever's happened to her, we need to let it go. And they kind of parted ways. But, you know, the time came around next week when they would normally be meeting. And without even saying anything, they all ended up again together in the house. And they said, we just couldn't let it go. And they said, because at the beginning of this journey, God promised us that she would come back one day. And so we're going to keep standing on that promise and keep praying in, even though it seems stupid to keep waiting and keep praying and keep waiting, keep praying. But you can guess the end of the story, can't you? It was only about two weeks after that they they decided to continue. They kept meeting. They kept praying. Two weeks later, this woman now turned up at their door. She had her own daughter who's about eight years old or something now. She was in a huge trouble. She was a total mess in her life. She'd hit rock bottom. She was desperate. And she said suddenly she remembered the couple that she'd lived with all those years ago and the fact that they'd said to her, there'll always be a welcome for you here. If you ever go, you'll always, you can come back. We'll open the door. We'll welcome you in. And she remembered it. And she went and looked them up and found the place. They were still living in the same house. And uh, they welcomed her in. She ended up living with them, she and her daughter. And, you know, they gave their lives to Jesus and became part of the church. And by the time this woman was telling me the story, this girl's life had been totally woman, (laughs) totally turned around, totally restored, 
blessing upon blessing had flowed from that story because that couple, like Elizabeth and Zacharias, knew how to wait well on the Lord, not lose heart, but stay with that worshipping and prayerful company of people who kept them going in God's purposes. And that's who I believe we need to be as we gather together week by week. People who can let the grace of God in. So let's pray. And we're going to close with a song of worship to help us respond. But let's pray. Lord, I just want to ask you, by your spirit, to flow, Lord, as we sing this song of worship or as we listen to these words now in a moment. I pray that your spirit will work in us. I pray you'd help us where we are tired of waiting. I pray you would help us where we feel that we can't wait for your answers anymore. I pray for your strength. Pray for your encouragement. I pray for your stamina, for perseverance. But most of all, I pray that we would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth that God is gracious. You're not withholding yourself from us. You've got grace to release. And Lord, we're looking for that grace. Some of us have got particular areas we want to see you release your grace into. Lord Jesus, I want to ask that you would do that. And that, Lord, in the meantime, in the waiting, we would know the grace of God strengthening us, keeping us on track. Help us to be a body of people that together keep our eyes and our worship fully fixed on you so we don't stray off looking for other instant gratifications, but we stay in the place where your grace can be made known. And finally, Lord, I really pray that our prayers in this place will be the means of turning many hearts towards you, far beyond what we can ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Let your lead.